Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for the City podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and hey, we're helping you turn cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we're giving you scriptural motivation and strategies that will help you get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus, friend. Hallelujah. And what do we mean by turning cities or turning the world upside down. Of course, wow, do we have a record of what the apostles did in the early church? Hallelujah. But you and I are also continuing to further the plan forward. And you know what? The world is perverted. When we say turn it right side up or turning cities upside down, what we actually mean is righting wrong. Some people are living inverted, friends. And so, um, We're not making it more confusing for for people. The truth of the gospel is setting them free. So it's turning their perverted, twisted world right side up towards the Heavenly Father. Hallelujah, somebody. And so we're just doing our part. We're honored to do it. We're so glad to be here today. Thank you for joining us. And we're going to pick up on part two of this thought called the Blessed Hope. We're going to get a little bit further today, and we're going to talk about, um, you know, why we want Jesus to return. I mean, hello, it's, I think it's obvious, but some additional thoughts here, and the Bible gives us uh, this uh, hope. The Bible um, reveals something to us that our hope is in, and we want to touch on a little bit of that today. Let's recap real quick. Titus chapter 2, and we read this, this is in verse 13. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that when he comes, well, I'm telling you, that means judgment, but it also means our deliverance. When Jesus comes for us, I'm telling you, we're, we're going to be raptured out. Uh, and But see, it's very interesting um, that connected with the second coming of Jesus, of course, we know prophetically uh, he's going to appear, he's going to rapture the church out. We're going to be with him for seven years. This is during Daniel's 70th week, weeks of years, seven years. Uh, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation is going on on the earth. and But when he comes uh, and puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14, we find out in other places, Revelation as well, um, several, several places where it prophesies this, uh, we're with him. The saints are with him. And that means certain judgment. And this is our hope uh, that Christ is doing several things. He's rescuing us, and he's also judging enemies as well. And so here in Titus, it says that we are uh, living a certain way in this present age, anticipating, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we read uh, from last week, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's talking about all those who love his appearing. We were asking ourselves, do we even love his appearing? And then we finished out the podcast with all these scriptures dealing with uh, this uh, prayer this groan, this cry that the Holy Spirit is inspiring, that we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. And even Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. Do we even believe that anymore? We touched on Peter, and I want to go back there, but in Peter, he said, in the last days, mockers will come, scoffers will come, and they'll come saying, where's his appearing? You've been talking about it. Where is it at? You and I are also inundated in these days with mockers. They're mocking 
what the Bible says concerning uh, uh, the gathering of the saints to himself and then also the coming and the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where even the Macedonians were praising the Thessalonians because of their posture of eagerly waiting the returning of Jesus Christ. Listen, you and I are living in, de- in, in days today where it's almost it's ridiculed uh, to kind of have this posture of the uh, imminent return of Jesus Christ. But the Bible thoroughly substantiates that. Go back and listen to the last week if you want to catch up with us. But let's go to Second Peter really quick. And uh, Peter brings out something he, uh, here in his uh, letter in the second one. Uh, you and I would know it as chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 16, he says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, he's talking about here the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is referring to uh, his second coming where he actually puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He will return the same way he left, but he'll put his foot down on the Mount of Olives and the saints are with him. And listen, there are people that are just mocking his return. But Peter says, look, um, there was something that so confirmed uh, what's going to happen. In fact, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, starting in verse 16, he said, we were at the transfiguration of Jesus. And he said, because of that event, Of course, Moses and Elijah was there. Jesus was substantiating the law and the prophets. And he said, because of that event in verse 19, that prophetic word, the propheticos, the writing of the Old Testament prophets, he said, it is undeniable. It is sure. And he said, you would do well that if you ever wind up in dark days, okay, I'm paraphrasing verse 19, uh, but he said, you would do well to look back to the guiding light. The guiding light is in those prophecies. Now, in Revelation, the angel came uh, to John and said that the, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And really what we find out is that the Old Testament prophets in particular, that they basically set a plumb line concerning uh, prophecy, and it is the testimony of Jesus. And any prophecy that violates the testimony of Jesus is technically false prophecy. But here's what we need to include in that thought is that the Old Testament prophets set the plumb line. Any, quote, modern-day prophecy that violates the harmony of the prophetic unction through the Old Testament prophets would be considered false prophecy because it violates the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right. Of course, even Jesus, when he was uh, facing Satan, uh, he said, it is written. Remember, Satan was trying to offer him the kingdom's over the world. He says, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Listen, Jesus said it's written. Remember that? Uh, because there was already a testimony of what was going to happen. It was already foretold. The, Jesus, by that point, already knew, okay, that the kingdoms would be given to him at his second coming. And But see, the devil is always trying to mess with times and seasons. It was if Jesus would have bowed down and worshiped Satan just to get the kingdoms, he would have skipped over an entire dispensation that had to do with the salvation of the Gentiles. And that's why he referred back to it is written. Well, what was he referring to? By saying it was written, he was referring to the testimony of himself in the mouth of the Old Testament prophets or the propheticos. Now, this is very important. 
for you and I because we use that plumb line to judge prophecy today. And uh, notice in Second Peter chapter two. Well, uh, sorry, Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse twenty. That in your heart, know this first: that no prophecy is of private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by uh, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. True prophecy revealed Christ Jesus. That's if we could say it like this: the function of prophecy is to reveal Jesus. There is no other function for prophecy, at least in our uh, day and time, because it's uh, Corinthians says when. When he that is perfect has come, there'll be no need for prophecy because prophecy is the revelation of Jesus. That's what the prophetic function does. Okay, what about personal prophecy? Well, personal prophecy would only reveal uh, the work of Jesus in somebody's personal life. Okay, so it, it always points back to what Jesus is doing, his affairs in mankind. Now, he's saying, listen, you've got to know, true prophecy was not by the will of man. Holy Spirit came on them, and the Holy Spirit is what empowered them uh, to be able to have the understanding or the words even to say what they said. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to say what they said. It is the testimony, the revelation of Jesus. Peter's saying you need to know that. You need to understand that because if you wind up in a dark day, again, verse 19, you can go back to the light. Where's the light? Well, the light's in the word. That's why even Jesus said it's written. It's written. Nothing's going to violate that. Uh, nothing's going to violate that. Jesus wasn't going to violate that. It was all already written. He wasn't going to violate the testimony of himself as it was foretold concerning the kingdoms and the nations, as was already spelled out by the Old Testament prophets. Now, chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2. But he said, There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Concerning what? Remember, let's stick to the context. Concerning Christ's return. Now, uh, and it goes on to say that many will follow their own destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you, etc., so on and so forth. All right. Now, throughout the Bible, there are uh, many admonitions concerning coming. It always kind of puts it out in a kind of a future sense. Now, here he says, there were and there will be. All right, so it says there were present and then there will be even more. But the Bible always talks about this caution, this warning of future, okay, even present but even future, this rise, this coming rise of false apostles, false prophets. Now, it's very interesting because Peter so definitively settles the issue concerning the Old Testament prophets. All future prophecy concerning Jesus will not violate the plumb line set by the Old Testament prophets. His parousia is already spelled out in the Old Testament prophets. There is no argument concerning that. He said they didn't even speak according to their own will. They spoke as the Holy Spirit gave, gave them the utterance. It set the precedent for judging prophecy, especially as it concerns eschatology, ecclesia. Any, any, any prophecy actually hinges on the plumb line that was set, this guiding light, which Peter said the transfiguration made it sure, made it undeniable. The fact that Jesus was there with Moses and Elijah, it settled the argument that the Old Testament prophets, the way they said it, how they said it, the events that are to unfold will be as they said. No modern prophet is going to deviate if he's prophesying by the Spirit of God off that plumb line. This is the caution 
that Peter and others, Paul, are giving uh, to us in the Bible. And he says it would do you well to remember this. All right, even uh, back here in 2 Peter chapter 3, he said in verse 2, he said, be mindful of the words which were spoken before, we might could say already, by the holy prophets. Who's he referring to? Again, the propheticos, the writings, the archive of what the Old Testament, we, what you and I call the Old Testament prophets said. He said, uh, be mindful of those words. Be mindful of those prophecies. Why? It is the testimony of Jesus. And uh, he says, be mindful of them and of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And he says, know this, scoffers will come in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming? Listen, the Bible prophesies that there is a coming wave, waves. It doesn't use the phrase waves. Excuse me. The Bible prophesies, warns, cautions of these uh, apostles and prophets primarily and some false teachers. Okay. I use the word waves because it seems like they've come in waves, but the Bible cautions these apostles and prophets coming and they're going to have a different message. They're going to have a different gospel. They're going to be preaching a different Jesus. Some of them are going to be scoffers. They're going to try and deceive you. They're going to mock where's the, uh, his return. And they're going to use the delay as a way to introduce destructive heresies. Now, here's the thought that I want to give you. The Bible never never foretells of these waves of apostles and prophets that are going to have current revelation. Here is the apostle Peter saying, listen, don't forget these words. Don't forget these words that were already spoken. Jude says we're contending for the gospel that was once delivered. There's not new deliveries coming. We've been cautioned uh, about groups of apostles and prophets and false teachers that will come and they're going to try and secretly uh, inject these theories, these heresies concerning Christ's return. Listen, you and I, friends, are well into the middle of all that mess. Now, we're not diminishing the role of apostle and prophet because of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, but I'm telling you, we're told more than once, more than twice, more than three times, more than four times to be aware of false apostles and prophets that are saying they have a testimony of Jesus. All I'm saying is if their prophecy, if their apostolic function, their doctrine, if it violates, if it doesn't harmonize with what the Old Testament saints laid down as the plumb line, it is technically false prophecy, friends. All right, you're warned two times in Peter's letters to know that in your heart to know that in your heart first, actually. He says, know this first. Scoffers are going to come, and then know that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. Again, as far as, you're, you, uh, as, far as what you and I are doing, false prophets, false apostles today are just cherry-picking passages of Scripture. Again, he says it's not of any private interpretation. And in our context, we say you can't just lift one little passage and then massage that to say whatever you want. It's got to work together in a harmony. All of the prophets, all of the Old Testament prophets were prophesying under, under the unction of the one Holy Spirit, meaning even though you and I may not see where they agree, we conclude that they are all in agreement. You and I may not see the agreement yet. 
uh, maybe we haven't done our due diligence to study and to show ourselves approved, able to rightly divide the scriptures, but we got to know this in our heart that they are in agreement. All those Old Testament prophets prophesied the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were all in agreement. There is no contradictions. All right, there's certain groups out 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 there saying that we have to be okay with the contradictions in the Bible. There are no con- contradictions. In fact, when the angel came to John and he says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, I am 100% sure, because John did not have the New Testament as you and I have it, that that angel was also substantiating, come on, the angel was substantiating the work of the Old Testament prophets. That's what John would have been trained up on. He would have had uh, Paul's additional uh, insights concerning the mystery of the body of Christ Jesus, the gap between Daniel's 69 and 70th week. Okay, that was the message that Paul brought. What about this mystery that's hidden right here between uh, the 69 and 70th week? <clears throat> John would have had that. All that would have been uh, working together in harmonious sequence. Now, you may not agree that it's in harmony. You may think there's contradictions, but that is just simply not true, friends. Okay, everything fits together perfectly. You and I may have not caught up with it yet. Now, we're working diligently, though. That's, that's, that's part of our, our work and our responsibility here is that uh, we are presenting ourselves diligent to hold fast to the faith that was once delivered. Listen, this is not confusing. It shouldn't be. Now, Peter wrote to uh, them. Again, he's writing to Jewish converts, several references he'd made to the Old Testament that they would have known and the Gentiles would not have known. For example, when he talked about the propheticos, Gentile believers were not trained on the writings of the Old Testament prophets. They did not have uh, Barashit, which is the book of beginnings. You and I know it as Genesis. They, they did not have these writings. They did not study them. They did not grow up memorizing them. The Jews would have. And so Paul had some references in there that are very important to you and I, but we wouldn't have had the historical context that they did. This is why Peter's letters are so valuable to you and I, because they contain some truths about Christ's return. He's telling them, he said uh, uh, that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Well, only Jewish, only the Jewish converts would have known Psalms where it says that. They, they would have known Hosea. No Gentile, no Greek person, no, no Gentile, okay, not just Greeks, but anybody else, wherever the gospel went to, no, no New Zealander, okay, <laughs> no Papua New Guinea, Okay, no, no, nobody from what we know as Russia or any of these other nations that the gospel went to, uh, they would not have had Psalms. They would not have had the prophet Hosea. So there were certain things that are important for the ecclesia, but only the Jewish converts would have had the context to understand the revelation. So he says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Well, they would have known Psalms and they would have known Hosea where he said, after two days, he will raise us up. Peter is literally telling us, listen, uh, because people were concerned because Peter's fixing to go and people are dying. That's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. People were dying. First Corinthians 15, people were dying. They had such an awareness of the imminent return of Jesus, but yet a few people were dying. And so Paul said, hey, comfort people with these words. Listen, their bodies are just asleep. They're with the Lord right now, but at his appearing, the rapture of the church, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we will be caught up together and changed in a twinkling of an eye in an atomic second. And he's saying, comfort people with these words that this is the 
um, sequence of events here. Some people were saying that Paul was telling people that judgment was here and the Antichrist was revealed. He said, no, 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 this has to happen first. The, the departing of the church has to happen first. Uh, the Greek word revealing there, as it concerns the Antichrist, is literally a curtain that is stripped open. But that is tethered to the rapture of the church. Paul said, no, the Antichrist is not revealed yet because the rapture hasn't happened. And no, the day of the Lord judgment, his second coming. We're not in the middle of judgment because uh, Daniel's 70th week is has not commenced because we're still here. And until the church is raptured, it, uh, we are still in the gap between Daniel's 69 and 70th week. All right, so he's writing to them. And we're being exhorted. Listen, it's going to be about 2,000 years, Peter is saying. So get a hold of yourself. Hold fast. Um, the, give to the groan of the Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. But then Peter says, listen, it's going to be about 2,000 years, but he's not slow. Some, some people might argue, oh, why is he so slow? No, he's not slow. He's long-suffering. He's not slow. He's merciful. And really, in our time, it seems like it's forever but it's just a couple days in his in his time listen after two days he will raise us up after two days he will raise us up come on after two days he will raise us up hallelujah somebody oh we thank the lord for it but you and i are being inundated mocked right now mocked right now if you believe in the rapture of the church uh then you believe in the new testament but a lot of people are mocking that mockers and scoffers have arisen on the scene they're calling it failure theology they're calling it escapism they're calling it weak they're saying it's weak it's they're saying it's like a cop-out you know the strong ones the strong ones are going to dominate the entire earth or, or the strong ones are going to live through the tribulation listen it's not a matter of strength friends it's it's a matter of his word it's a matter of his word but here he's saying uh uh you know it's going to be about two two thousand years and then he's going to come. But you're going to have to endure these false apostles and prophets that rise upon the scene. And what do they bring with them? He said they bring with them uh, cunning. Let me get the exact phrase here. Um, right here. He said uh, cunningly devised fables. We could say theories. We could say doctrines. That's what these guys are going to be peddling. Again, let me say this one more time, and then I want to move on to something else. But... Uh, he said that, um, or the Bible, let me say it like this. The Bible is cautioning us that there will be these false apostles and prophets and they will have these doctrines um, that he calls cunningly devised fables. And the centerpiece here, Peter's warning, he said the centerpiece will be concerning his parousia or his coming again. Hallelujah. So let's just be aware of that. Peter's saying, but as... Uh, the apostles of the Lamb have stated. Listen, any modern apostle today that contradicts the founding apostles, the apostles of the Lamb, the, the 12 apostles there, of course, you know, Judas was removed. And then, of course, you have Peter, uh, excuse me, not Peter, but Paul. Uh, but anybody who contradicts those messages, the gospel that was once delivered, uh, remember what Paul said? He said, let him be accursed. He said, even if an angel comes and contradicts that, let him be accursed. We're watching out for that. All right, now let's go to, let's see here. Where do we want to jump in? Let's jump in at, um, let's see, Ephesians chapter 5. 
Now, part of the blessed hope, part of the blessed hope that you and I are anticipating is the glorification of the church. This is um, connected with this thought that the spirit and the bride say, come. Now, in Ephesians 5, it says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, watch this, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, in Revelation, it says that the bride has made herself ready. How are we making ourselves ready? The word is making us ready. We're getting into the word. Uh, We're abiding in the word. We're letting that word abide in us. And there's something supernatural taking place by the agency of his words. Now, the reason why that we are groaning, come Lord Jesus, is because the Bible foretells, prophesies to us that the church is going to be glorified. Now, this is a little bit beyond uh, the scope of what I want to touch on. So I'm going to spend time here, but I want to mention this. In 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about this. It says that the wife is the reflection or the expression or the recipient of the husband's glory. Or we say it like this, the extent of the man is visible through what's reflected in his wife. You can look at that in 1 Corinthians 11. There's another reference about the gospel of the glory. There's the good news of the glory. Listen, you and I are groaning because it's been prophesied to us that we will be glorified with him. That's another reason why we have this posture of his immediate return. Because when he appears for us and calls us to gathers us to himself it's not for judgment friends although we will be at the judgment seat of christ but it's rewards okay but there is a glorification that takes place and i'm telling you it just on the inside of us we're longing for the fulfillment of that there is a glory within remember talks about that this is the the uh, glory that's been hidden in these earthen vessels we have a down payment of this glory the bible says earnest a guarantee of this glory because of the glorification of our spirit within, but there's something else that we're anticipating, and it's the full glorification of the bride, which is only visible in light of him, in his reflection, in his appearing, then we become glorified with him. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, and all of us as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold, watch this, in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being constantly transfigured into his very own image in an ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Now, we're told right here that there is already a work of glory that has begun in us. It happened when you were born again. Okay, there was something deposited on the inside of you, a glorification of your inner man. The spirit was born again. And then he says, as we've stayed in the word, as we are beholding him, how are we beholding him? We're not beholding him face to face. We're beholding him right now uh, via his word. It says, as in a mirror. Another place it says it's kind of dim, okay, because it's like looking through a glass. It's quite the reflection but it's not the same one that will be when we behold him as he is, okay? That hasn't happened yet. But you and I, there's a progression of glory going on, and as we look into his word, we're being transfigured or changed from one degree to a glory 
to another. So there's a progression of glory that's happening within the church right now. Um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but the full manifestation of that happens when he appears and gathers us to himself in the light of his appearing will be the finishing work of the full glorification of the church. Again, we see a progression of glory. The Bible talks about we're beholding him, but not face-to-face through his word. We don't see him face-to-face yet, but through his word, we see him. Through his word, we behold him. Remember, washing and cleansing comes via his word. That's what we read in Ephesians 5. And when we let that word into our hearts, we're being changed. We're being cleansed. We're being transformed. We're being made ready for his appearing. Progressively, more glory, glory to glory. Uh, there, and But what's the agency of that? The word is the agency. Listen, you and I don't have anything to do with that. His word is the agency. His word is doing it. His word is causing us to be made into his image, to be conformed into his image. But watch this, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. There is a day coming. And uh, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now, for now, in this present age, in this present age for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, oh, hallelujah, face to face. Now I know in part, Paul says, but then, but, but see, see, now we're seeing him, beholding him via his word, but then twice, but then Paul says, I shall know him just as I am known. He sees us clearly. We see him dimly. The Amplified Classic says, for now, we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim or a blurred reflection of him. But when perfection comes, he himself, when perfection comes, we shall see in reality and face to face. Now, I know in part, imperfectly, the Amplified says, but then, see, there's a now and a then. We're, we're not in the then time. We're in the now time or the present age. But then, it says, I shall know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God. What's this referring to? It's referring to our blessed hope. It's referring to the appearing of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not talking about his second coming. This is talking about his appearing, the rapture of his body, the rapture of his bride. Come on, the rapture of the church, the ecclesia. Now, you and I are beholding him dimly now. This is the point that I want to stress. We're beholding him as through a mirror or through his word. And this is why uh, we prophesy in part. And it says that when that perfect which has come, we're, n- we're not going to need like prophecy. Why? Because um, it will not be necessary then for a testimony of Jesus to help us navigate uh, through a dark world. He himself will have appeared and we will be united to him. We will no longer need prophecy to testify of him because we will see him face to face. Now, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For while we are still in this tent, the 2 Corinthians 5, 4, while we are still in this tent, what do we do? If you're familiar with this passage, what does it say? It says we groan. What are we groaning? Now, uh, I'm going to tie a couple of thoughts here from last week's podcast where we read in Revelation 
that the Spirit and the bride say, what? Come, Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's giving us prayers. Sometimes it's a groan. Sometimes it's a cry. Sometimes it's words that cannot, or uh, it's groanings that cannot be expressed in words. But there's a yearning deep on the inside of us. And it says, while we are still in this tent, we groan under the burden and sigh, the weighed down, the depressed, the oppressed. He's talking about the reality of the natural realm. It's pressing in on us. Not that we want to put off the body, which is the clothing of the spirit. He's not talking about that. There's a glory within. But rather, come on, that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, our dying body, may be swallowed up by the life after the resurrection. Why do we groan? We groan because we want the full manifestation of the glory. We want the manifestation, the full revealing of the sons of God. When does that happen? Romans chapter 8 goes on to say the redemption of our bodies. When does that happen at his appearing? Listen, you're not fully glorified outside of the reflection of the head or the husband upon the wife. That's why I started out quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because it says to the extent that the man is reflected in the body. But right now, we're not beholding him face to face. So there is not a full glorification. There is a progression of glory. And I'm telling you, it's going to get stronger and stronger from here on out, friends. His word is working in us. His word is preparing us right now. But the full consummation of that glory happens at his appearing. And as we see him face to face and he sees us face to face, then the full reflection of the glory of the bride is imminently made known. That's the manifestation of the sons. We can say the manifestation of the bride, the body as well. And it's all connected to his appearing and our being caught up and the transforming or the resurrection. Some, some will be resurrection, uh, resurrected. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. But the full glorification happens at that moment right there. I'm out of time. We're going to have to make this a part three, at least a part three. So I want to, uh, to encourage you to tune in next week as we dive in a little bit further talking about our blessed hope which is connected i'm i mean i'm telling you the gospel the 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 gospel has a bedrock teaching about the resurrection or the glorification of our bodies hallelujah so join us next week we'll dig into that hey if we can pray with you it'd be our honor to do that when we say we want to pray with you we don't just say it we really mean that if you need prayer, would like somebody to join you in prayer, you can call us at 870-741-9099. Uh, excuse me, 9099. Leave a message. Somebody will get back, uh, get right back with you. Or you can send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv, and we'll follow up with you on there. Listen, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined me. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.